And never underestimate what God can do in a moment. Never underestimate what God can do in a suddenly. We are people of his presence, are we not? You know, God can transform a nation, but it's not going to happen until we step aside and say, God, interrupt everything we've been doing. Because what we've been doing isn't working. We could talk about the disunity in government. We could talk about the anger, the division, the racism, a broken educational system, social media out of control, materialism, idolatry, rebellion, arrogance, Do we, right? It's, it's a bad list, man. But this is what we, this is what we get when we try to produce our best. This is it. We don't have anything better than this. And it's insanity to think that if we continue to do the same thing over and over and over, that we will get a different result. Right? If we continue doing the same thing that we've done, we're going to continue getting the same thing that we have. And it's, it's, it's time for the church to realize we got to change. We can't just check a box. We cannot just check a box. You know, I, I don't know how you came in here. I don't know what needs you came in here with. I, I don't know your background or your story. I don't know the narrative of your life. But I know this. Everything that you need for life and godliness is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything that you need. Man, value. Value these moments. Don't underestimate what God can do in these moments. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move upon every one of us. Every person that has come. Lord, reach the furthest in the room. Maybe somebody's coming, they're broke. They are broke. God, would you reach them? Because I know if you reach the furthest in the room, you can reach the rest of us. God, heal, mend, bring deep conviction, deep repentance, bring correction, bring encouragement. God, where there's brokenness, would you heal? And mend, God, we ask. Holy Spirit, we ask. Lord, all over this nation right now, there are people that are just beginning this, others that have just completed church. And we're asking that we would never take your, your presence for granted. We would never take your presence for granted. We pray for brothers and sisters all over this nation that, were, that are just beginning to sing, maybe an hour behind us or two hours behind us. We pray, God, that you move by your spirit all over this nation today. We're not the only ones, right? You know that. You're not the only one lifting up these hands and praising him right now. Holy Spirit, we ask for a revival and an awakening in our nation. Amen. God, we ask. Yes. Listen, will you pray for the person next to you real quick? Just one minute. Put your hand on their shoulder and pray for them, will you? Man, I don't want to come in and leave. I don't want to come in and leave. Take a box and leave. Will you pray for somebody right now? Come on, maybe behind you or in front of you. 
Just ask God for understanding. Lord, give us understanding. Lord, reveal yourself, right? God, reveal yourself to us. Show yourself to us. Give us understanding of what you're doing on the earth today and in this place today. Do you love this place? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Do you love his presence? Yeah. Man, I, we, we can't do it. We can't do it without his presence. Can't do this. I don't know who we think we are, but I learned many, many years ago not to walk into his presence and take it for granted. God, speak to the people this morning. Amen. Will you squeeze the person next to you? Just give them a, give them a hug, right? And if they're yours, kiss them on the cheek. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, just make sure. Yeah, you got the right one. And all the, all the, all the middle school boys are like, man, you heard him. <laughs> Come here. Come here, right? Oh, Dude. Love this place. We have had a blast the last 24 hours. Man, this is a great church. This is a healthy church. You know that? Yep. This is, uh, man, I honor your pastor and this team. This team, man, Sean, the rest of you, wow. Just um, great to see friends. I know a few of you here, but man, this has been, it's been a great 24 hours. And I believe God is not finished with us. I believe that God wants to, wants to give us a prophetic word to this church. Amen. And I was praying, like even this morning, that, that God would speak this message over our nation also. Just into the, into the spirit, right? Into the heavenlies. And that, that even those who are not here would feel the effects of what the Holy Spirit is doing and saying. Right? Is that too much to ask of God? No, not at all. So if you would, go to Malachi chapter 4. Right at the end of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. Malachi is one of the prophets and actually is one of the younger prophets. Um, I love, I love the prophets. <laughs> That's not something you normally hear, right? Wow, love the prophet. We like the we like the pastors. We like the we love the missionaries, but we don't normally embrace the prophets. But man, many of them. Do you know many of the prophets were young? It's true. Malachi was one of the younger prophets, and he prophesied uh, during the same time as uh, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was one, Jeremiah was a teenager when he prophesied. Joel. Joel was one of the youngest prophets. And when Joel prophesied the end times, remember what Joel said? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, the young and the old. They'll dream dreams and have visions. And you'll see this, the skies will be filled with fire, and right? The, the Holy Spirit, symbol of fire. And man, Malachi is no different. Malachi is bringing us a word. Uh, as a precursor to the end of times, okay? A precursor, or like, this is what happens before the end of times. Characteristic traits of 
the end of times. Jesus even said, do you know that Jesus said there would be deception? Okay, he said there would be deception. He said it four times uh, specifically. Then he used uh, those, some will come and deceive many. And so really more times. But in Matthew 24, when he was talking to the disciples and they asked him, you know, when are you coming back? And he's like, listen, take heed unless you're deceived. But one of the other things he said was offense. He said, many will be offended. Okay. In the end times, many will be offended. You, know, you want to know why? Because of arrogance. Listen, the, the scriptures are an offense. The gospel is an offense. And he even said, many will be offended because of you. Hear me. If, if you're cozy, if you're cozying up, right, and you're in relationship with people, and they feel no conviction over the lifestyle that they're living, then maybe, hear me, maybe we aren't offensive enough. Right? I know we don't talk about that much. And we're supposed to be loved. Is everybody loved? Just mercy, love, right? Let me tell you something. It is both grace and truth. Right? So, man, Malachi just brings it, and he sets us up with this moment before the end of time. Look at verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, there's the arrogance, right? Yes, all those who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. So that's the word to the wicked, okay? Verse 1. Verse, verse 1. Um, and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. Then he turns the corner away from the wicked, and he has this word for us, right? But to those who what? To those who fear my name. That's us. To those who fear my name. The son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. We just sang that, healing. And you shall go out, grow fat like stall-fed calves. The blessing, you shall trample the wicked, overcoming evil, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this. Did you catch that phrase? On the day that I do this. What? On the day that I do what? The phrase just sits there and and it begs you to read what else he has to say. Watch, watch this. Um, you, you blessing, you overcome the wicked, right? On the day that I do this, says the Lord. Verse 4, remember the statutes, right? The law. Remember what Moses taught us. Remember the commandments. Remember the judgments. Remember the law. This is what he's telling us. Don't forget the word. The, literally, the Ten Commandments are called the Ten Words of God. We call them commandments. But the word there in the Hebrew is literally, these are the ten words of God. And so oftentimes when we see the prophets calling us back to the, the law, this is, what, this is what he means. So he says, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel with the statutes and the judgments. For behold, look at verse 5. For behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet 
before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So this is, the, this, this is it. This is the precursor. Before we see the end of times, I will send the prophet and this is what he will do. Okay? This is what the prophet will do. Verse 6. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Unless I come and strike the earth with a curse. You've read that before, haven't you? It's iconic. I believe one of the last moves of the Holy Spirit in our nation is this right here. A restoration of the family because the family is disintegrated. It's disintegrated. There's no sanctity of family anymore. I, I, I really believe that one of the one of the precursors of an awakening and a revival that we are going to see, it will be remarkable, it will stun us, is a revival in the home. A revival in the home where what you just did here the last few minutes will be nothing compared to what God is doing in your home. Right? Because hear me, God hasn't called us to come to church to worship. Will you stay with me a little minute? Right? Just, just, just for a sec. God hasn't called us to come to church to worship. He's called us to come to church worshiping. You see the flip? It's just simple. I know I put a little trick there on you, right? Just like, oh, I see what he did. I see what he did. No, but it's so true. It's slight. It's a slight, but it's so true. God is not as interested in your services as he is your service. Hello? And yeah, we come and we celebrate and we just get it on, right? We're like, hey, ho, everybody, right? That's how the young people do it. And we get all excited about this. But then when, it, when we leave, we get in the car, everything changes. We go to work and everything changes. We go to school and everything changes. We get home and it's not the same. But you know why? Because we're codependent on the church. We go there to do that. God hasn't called us to come to church to pray. God has called us to come to church praying. Because it's not what we do. It's who we are. This is who we are. We don't, we don't come here to do that. And to be honest, that is what has confused younger people today. I, I, I don't get it. Mom and dad jumping up and down here. Grandma and grandpa right here. Why are they, why are they cussing at home? Uh-oh. Boy, I won't be here next week. Don't worry. Don't worry. All right? You got to love me if you're going to heaven. So love me. I'm not a pastor, though. Like, you know, I'm not here to try to offend you. But if it happens, I, I'm really, I get happy. Because it's my role, right? This is, this is what I, this is, I'm not a pastor. Be thankful that your pastor will be back. Listen, we got to get something straight here. We have, we have reversed, it's like we've flipped the script in America when it comes to church, when it comes to a worship setting or experience. And we get all excited to go there. Listen, most of us would rather go to church than be the church. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, this side's quiet over here. I'm gonna come over. I'm gonna come over here a little bit. This side, this side's picking it up. <laughs> no, maybe I'm about to. This is just intro. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what's gotta. I don't know what the changes. I don't know what it's gonna take. But it's gonna take us seeing that God is breaking out and moving all over this globe. But. It, but it's like there's a vacuum of his presence here. I mean, think about it. The Argentine revivals in South America. The Chilean healing crusades in South America. The, the global church is experiencing awakening that would stun you if you, if you understood it. The Chinese underground church in a place where they're not even allowed to worship publicly oppressed is exploding to tens of thousands of small group home groups house churches every month not every year no 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 tens of thousands the missionaries are telling us because what will happen is the government will come in and they'll take the pastor and they'll kill the pastor in front of people. Or they'll imprison the pastor in front of people and say, if anybody else raises up here and takes their place, we'll do the same thing to you. Yeah. Try that here. That'll shut church down real quick. <laughs> well, we'll just worship at home. Isn't it interesting that where there is oppression, the church is flourishing. Yeah. Flourishing. Go across Africa. To the Crusades in Africa, Nigeria. If you if you just Google it, it doesn't mean it's true. If you Google it, but it's there, right? The videos are all there. It's not a research tool. Hello. If you go there and you Google the Nigerian African Crusades, Reinhard Bonnke, Reinhard Bonnke, beloved evangelist from Germany who passed away recently, but his healing crusades are drawing. Hear me. I, I, this I, this is I'm not I'm not misquoting this. They're drawing millions of people in a field for four days. You, you, you'll see it. You'll look it up. You'll see it. Millions of people in this field that will come. And you'll see a soccer stadium in the background. A football stadium that will seat 100,000 people. And the lights are on. It's in the background. While there are a million in this field or a desert, Right? Uh, 2 million, 2.2 million in Nigeria. Listen, and in the background, there is this football stadium lit up with 100,000 people in it. Those aren't the people that got there first to get the good seats. You know who those people are? The intercessors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what they do is they bring the intercessors in a week before, and they, all, and they fill the stadiums up, and they start praying for the meetings that are coming. And we can't put 300 people in a small church here in America where it's legal. Daniel Kalenda, who is one of the leaders of that movement, who lives here in America, they've planted a church in Orlando that is busting out. Daniel Kalenda, I heard him say this about four years ago. He was asked, why is God moving globally? Why is God moving all over the world? And he kind of had this smirk on his face because he worked with the uh, Christ for All Nations, the, uh, the, the outreach on, on the, the continent of Africa. He was, he was with Reinhard Bonnke. When Reinhard Bonnke passed, Daniel Kalinda has picked it up. And he said these words. He said, well, I'll tell you what the difference is. 
Over there in Africa, we can put 100,000 people a week before, three days before. They'll pray all the way up to the meetings that we're going to have. In America, we can't get 20 people in a church to come and pray on Monday night. He said, until we change the, the dynamics of our prayer, we're never going to see an awakening in America. Because you know what we've tried to do in America? We've tried, we've tried to change church signs. We've tried to put up cool digital boards. We've tried new choruses. We've taken the pastor out of jeans, out of like a suit and, and tie, put the pastor in, in jeans, right? Thinking that's going to bring revival. Well, look what we got. Something has to flip. We've got to get this, we've got, we've got to get this right. I believe, hear me, I believe what we have seen in the past in this country, we're going to see it again. But I don't know what it's going to take. I mean, we're going to hit this. We're going to talk about this today. But I think there are many, hear me, there are many characteristic traits of an awakening. You can go all the way back to the mid-1700s, 1740 to 1780, right around there, to the first great awakening in America that spread through all of the Ivy League university campuses, Brown, Harvard, William & Mary, Yale, etc. All of those campuses, Princeton, they were, they were seeing revival in the first great awakening to, so that over a million, listen, powerful historical lesson, over a million young people were being born again on campuses. And, and they would send them, those were Bible training centers. Do you understand that? They weren't liberal, progressive uh, arts and science, science uh, universities like they are today. These were training centers for ministers that were sent. Young people all over the world. That was the first great awakening. Then, about 60 years after that, about 1820, late 20s, you know, all the way up to about 1860 came the second great awakening. And it wasn't marked by the repentance and, and the sending of people all over the world like the first great awakening was. It was different. It was signs and wonders and demonstrations of the Spirit. There were so many people being moved on on the streets of New York City that you would go out at lunchtime and see prayer groups all over the city praying for people who were ill. They would go, they would go into hospitals and empty out hospitals. It sounds like a foreign country. It sounds like I'm making this up. That was the second great awakening. And then you move into the Azusa Street outpouring in Los Angeles. That was actually begun, listen, 1901 to about 1914 in L.A. I've been to the home on Bonnie Bray. There's an old home there where the revival broke out. But let me take you, let me take you back before the revival broke out. It was about six months before it broke out in L.A. that there were Bible college students in Topeka, Kansas, who a snowstorm hit that area in Topeka at their Christmas break, and they couldn't go home for days. So they decided to just have a prayer meeting. And so they have this prayer meeting. It was only a dozen or under 20, right, in the teens of numbers of students who couldn't get out because of this, this storm. And so they began to pray. And, and the Holy Spirit moved upon them, and they moved, they drove down south because they couldn't get back up north. And the whole group went together to Hot Springs, Arkansas. 
and started holding prayer meetings through the first of the year. And then God spoke to one of them and said, go to L.A. And so this whole group of Bible college students gave up their, their Christmas break and moved all the way to L.A. and began prayer meetings that began this church that you're sitting in today. Do you understand that? The Assemblies of God? Your denomination, this movement, was begun by a prayer meeting with just a handful of Bible college students who got snowed in and just listened to the Holy Spirit and within six months are in L.A. and saw this massive outpouring of the Spirit. Do you see how simple this could be? But we've complicated it. And then... You would move from 1914 to about 1967, another like 50 years before we'd see any kind of spiritual movement in America. In 1967 through 1977 and really into 78 and 79, but about a 10-year decade run of what we call the Jesus movement. Some of you in the room know you, you, you know the Jesus movement because we, we were all just hippies, bro. That's all we were. I was born in 1963, like somewhere around there, in, in Central California. I was born in San Francisco. And I remember as an elementary student at the end of that revival, my parents taking me to the Cow Palace, which is this massive venue. And there would be uh, all summer long, weeks and weeks, 12, 14 weeks of revival going on. Like tens of thousands of people that would come in all week long. And we were all hippies. Yes, silk, collars, long wavy hair, bell bottoms, kind of like today. <laughs> oh my goodness. I wish you could have seen us. And God didn't break out in the church, in the Jesus movement. He broke out on the beach, in the bar. And when he did that, Time Magazine called the Jesus movement the greatest spiritual moment in the history of America. Front cover, Time Magazine. You can see it. You can look it up and get it. I've got, a, I've got a copy of it. Hear me. I'm sharing all of that to say, we've watched God move in our nation. But we haven't seen a move of the Spirit since the Jesus movement. Started in 67. It's been 50 plus years. A little less than that since it ended. I'm telling you, I don't want to know about God. I want to know God. I don't want to hear about God. I want to see him. I don't want to raise another generation ignorant of awakenings. I don't want to raise another generation ignorant of revival. I want to raise this generation to see God move. Not hear about what he's done, but to see it. I don't want to, I don't just want a definition of God. I want a demonstration of God. But we got to change because what we're doing is giving us what we got. And that is insanity. I don't know what it's going to take, but these prophetic words get us closer and closer. Listen. The grandparents in the room, let me illustrate the, the incredible need that we are in for an awakening. Let me just give you the research. Can I do that? Because you might be thinking, well, you know, you know whatever. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me define your whatever. Two years ago, research data came out. The silent generation in this room, which are the grandparents, 
they had a 65% biblical worldview, which means that they thought about the world and the issues in society through a biblical framework, okay, through theology. This, we, we, we solve our problems through the scripture, 65%. And about 83% of them were Christian, okay, significant, 60, 80 years ago, okay, 65%, biblical worldview. Then they had Gen X. That would be my generation. I'm a grandfather. I have six boys, six grandboys, okay? I have three kids, 33, 30, 27, and six grandboys, and I'm so ready for some grandgirls. Hello. Oh, yeah, I tell my kids all the time, come on, give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy, right? I just need a few more. Just give me some girls, right? Because it's a, it's a freaking wrestling match with all the boys. <laughs> so Gen X comes along, right? Silent Generation had Gen X, and they had a 32% biblical worldview, 32.7, so under 33%, a half, a drop of 50%. Just uh, uh, like, How? How does that happen? How does the faith handoff fail from grandparents at 65 to their, for their kids, Gen X, parents in the room, to 32%? Then Gen X had the millennials. Oh, boy, the, the millennials. Sorry, right? The snowflakes. Right? That's, that's what the world calls them, snowflakes. I was speaking at a university, and uh, I was talking about these statistics. And we were talking about revivals, you know, and this is a secular university. And after we were done talking about the statistics and how bad we were and how, what, we, what we look like in America today, this young freshman comes up, glasses, right, the backpack. Can you see him hey, hanging on to his, his, uh, his, um, his laptop still, you know. And he pushes his glasses up, and he says, snowflakes. I like that. I was like, dude, it's not a compliment. <laughs> right? It's like, I know you're unique, but... So the millennials come along, and they drop from their grandparents 65% to their parents 32% to 19% biblical worldview. 19%. And so in three generations, you have this loss of a faith handoff. Well, what happened? Well, it doesn't get any better. Because maybe if you've heard this before, this is not news to you. But two years ago, when Barna came out with this research, they did the research for Gen Z. That would be the teenagers in the room. Could, could I have all the teenagers in the room, Stan? Actually, yeah. Up to about, let's go all the way up to college. 22, up to 22. You stand. Look at this, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Gen X has these guys. Okay, yeah, you can, you can, you can sit down. You've been here. You've been here the whole weekend. You stood up oh, three times this weekend. Uh huh. <laughs> That's hunger. That's because that's they just came out of camp, right? Camp will kind of do that to you. I'm on week seven, and I got three more. Oh, that's a high. That's like hit it. Something like that. Paige, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Something like that. Listen, Gen Z comes along 4% biblical worldview. 
biblical worldview. 4%. From 19, your older brothers and sisters, at 19%, the millennials, who are like 24, 25 to like 36, 19%, down to you, teenagers today, born 1998, 1999, 4% biblical worldview. I didn't even believe it. When I first heard that stat, I was like, no, 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 that's 14. They mean 14. This is a misprint. And I have a friend at the Barna Research Group, and I called him. I said, David, come on, tell me. There's no way. There's no way this is true. He said, we've gotten calls. we got people who are wondering. This is the plus minus. Here's the data query. This is the research. We wouldn't have printed it if it wasn't true. How did we get here? How did we lose this faith handoff from one generation to the next? I want you to write down, I don't have the time to go there, but I want you to write down Psalm 78. Psalm 78. It is a remarkable chapter. Psalm 78 is an iconic chapter. If, if you were to read that to your family tonight, if you were to read that to your family tonight, if by chance you were reading that to your family tonight, let me see if I can keep moving on here, just get past that. You would recognize the language. Asaph wrote, wrote that psalm. David wrote most of the psalms, we know that. But Asaph wrote about 18 or 20 of them. And Asaph is reviewing the history of Israel in Psalm 78. It's just a review of Israel's history. And he uses language like, uh, commandments, precepts, words. He uses language like when you read the prophets who said, don't forget these words of ours. God has called you, God is calling us back to these Psalm 78, the whole, listen, calling us to the precepts, to the commandments, to the judgments of God. And, and in Psalm 78, he says this, because what we, what, what our forefathers have given to one generation, then they hand off to the next generation, and they give the commandments to the next generation, and they give the precepts to the next generation, and he goes on and on, and then there's this language, and then the demonstrations of the signs and wonders in the heavens are passed on to all of those who believe. Somehow we didn't get that note. Somehow we didn't catch that. Somehow we stopped that. Somehow we've lost the definition and we've lost the demonstration of the Spirit. I want to give you five signs, characteristic traits Things that will, precursors to an awakening. Can I do that real quick? I'm honestly, I'm going to try to spend a minute or two on each one, and we're going to be done in 10 minutes, and we're going to pray. Okay? Can I, can I do that? So stay with me. I want you to write these down. Those of you that are taking notes and going to heaven, I want you to write these down. Okay? <laughs> Did I say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. Didn't mean it. All right? Characteristic number one. We value moments, and we create movements. Okay, remember what I said when we were just starting, the, coming off worship, how we have to, we can't just check a box off. We have to be, we have to be here, all here when we're here. 
God has not called us to services. He's called us to service. Listen, it's more, it's more than just going to church. It's being the church. And, and, I, and I truly believe if you could, like, on Sunday morning, on Saturday night, we, I tell my kids, we have a text. We have a group text. Every Saturday night. You can get my phone and you can check this out. Last night we did the same thing. I pray for my kids. I, we, we always say, wherever they're at, and all of my kids are in ministry, wherever they're at, God, build the church through us tomorrow. That's what we say. And they, and they hit back. And my daughter, last night was like, Daddy, I'm praying for you. And my, my older son, uh, he was like, listen, give them everything you got tomorrow, Dad. Right? This is, this is, this is why we come here. We, we have to change the way we, we do this. We have to change it. Listen, when you value his presence, there are suddenlies all over scripture. There are suddenlies all over scripture where God moved in a moment. I mean, I know he wants our faithfulness. Amen? God wants our faithfulness. But there are also times when he moves and it is unforgettable. That's what camp is for. Right? These are those moments where the ceiling is, is lifted and, and the walls are extended. When we allow God, when we say, God, stun me, arrest me, shock me. Do something, God, that you've never done. And that takes discipline to value moments that create movements. Listen, not just memories or museums. God's not into, listen, God is not into walking you through his museum. Hey, you know, I remember this one time when he moved at the Red Sea, and it was remarkable. We, we haven't seen anything since, but I'm t telling you, it was a moment, right? We're not walking around following God as he's, right, as he's saying, I'll never forget that once, was it one time or maybe two, we were walking down the middle of the street. The street, mind you. We're walking down the middle of the street. And I stopped, prayed for this, this, and he, he was raised from the dead. Yeah, that's raised from the dead, Peter. That's right. It's been a while, but hello? God, God is not into walking us through some museum of old things, tricks that he did. He said, greater works will you do if you believe in my name. Oh, man, number two, we got we to gotta keep moving or we're going to be here till this afternoon. And I'm hungry. <laughs> that was flesh. <laughs> the wisdom of the elders. Let me put these two together and the passion of young people. The wisdom of the elder and the passion of the young people. Hear me. We cannot lose the silent generation and their experience with God. We can't lose that. Grandma and Grandpa in, in the room. We need your stories. We need, listen, I believe there are grandparents in this room whom God is going to touch in these next few moments today to sign up and become a youth leader. Is, is that what you wanted me to say? Yes. You, you wanted me to say, no, 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 no. He did not ask me to say that. And every one of my youth leadership teams, this is 38 years in youth ministry for me. 
I can't do anything else. You know what I'm saying? And, and don't worry. Teenagers have not affected me. I mean, you know, once. I mean, sometimes, but, you know, listen, I believe God's going to speak to some of the grandparents in the room. And you're going to walk up to Connor. You're going to walk up to Sean. You're going to walk up to this youth team and say, you know what? God touched my heart. And I'm not here to retire. I'm here to refire. Hello. I, I got things to share. I got things to say. I want to sit around next Wednesday night in the youth service and just tell them what it used to be like. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're in a youth meeting. And uh, we were do it was February, so we were doing sex. I said it. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're going to go there in a minute. Uh, we are doing sex, sexuality, relationships, friendships, all of that. But really more sex and sexuality, okay? And we had a panel discussion. And we were asking questions, right, live there. And we had this older couple, grandparents, who were there in their 80s. And the question was, take us to a dating relationship and what it looked like. And we had a young couple that was like, uh, you know, 25 or whatever, and they were dating and they were getting ready to get married. They talked about it. And then we had two teenagers who were dating at um, 1718. 1718. 1718. Sorry. And then we had uh, like a married couple that were like deacons in the church, and then we had the grandparents. And then they all go through what they're saying, everyone's falling asleep, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, it gets to the grandfather, and this is what he said I got on my horse. And now everybody is like sitting up, right? They're all sitting up. They're all like, on a horse? I got on my horse and I rode across the field. And I rode across the field and I talked to her old man. Hello? I want to run. He said, I talked to her old man. I said, could I take her down by the creek? Right? And the old man said, just have her back before it's dark. I had her back before it was dark. Right? And all the kids are just like, and then he says, we are down at the creek. And I bet you're wondering, did I kiss her? That's <laughs> so what he said. I'm like, this is, I wish ABC, CNN, I wish they were all there. Right? And he just said, you betcha. Listen, listen, listen. What a moment. What a moment. Listen, I, I know that they, young people in this room need to hear the stories of our saints. They need to hear... They need to hear how it was done and what God was doing and how he was moving. I don't want young people to just hear about God. I want them to see him move. Let me, let me go to another one. Uh, what's next? What's next? Because time is flying and the passion of the youth. Yeah, yeah, I kind of put those two together. We'll just pass over that one. Okay. Can you write that one down? S-E-X. <laughs> Sir, ma'am, I'm going to make your day. Temperature's going to rise in the room. Is that okay? Yeah. Let me tell you something. Yeah, I just heard a man go, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Yeah, sir. Listen, we've lost the sanctity of gender. We've lost the sanctity of marriage. And we've lost the sanctity of sex. 
Listen, if we want to reach a generation, if we want to reach a society, we have to help solve the worst of its problems. If you can help solve the worst of society's problems, then we can change society. But if we have all of the answers to questions nobody is asking, what good is that? Somebody hear me? If I have all of the answers that t- to the questions nobody is asking, what does that make me? Irrelevant. Reverend irrelevant. <laughs> I want to know. I want to understand the heartbeat of society. I want to know what a generation's thinking. And this is what they're thinking. It, it's an amazing walk through culture today. Because, and, and I believe that the family is the number one problem in America. The disintegration of the family is the number one. I, I believe that. That if we could solve the family, then we can solve every issue. Because families raise healthy kids who build healthy societies. Right? Healthy kids, listen, kids aren't born racist. They are raised racist. Kids aren't born into poverty. They are raised with a poverty mindset. Kids aren't born. Anyway, let's get back to this point. What I believe has to happen is we need families to begin the discussions. And we need families to raise children who can stand against the sexual revolution in America. I, I wish... I wish, I wish we had time to take, to, I, do, I do long weekends and sessions with parents on this. And we do, we do, we do, we practice how to have the discussion. And you can get the book afterwards. Uh, Connor will tell you about that. There's a chapter in the book on this. And, but hear me. If we don't address the sexual revolution in America, we're going to lose another generation. Because Generation Alpha is coming behind these teenagers here in the room. Their younger brothers and sisters are coming. Are we going to hand off 4% biblical worldview to them? Well, how much worse is it going to be? Because right now, right now, this generation has no concept of the sanctity of gender, the sanctity of marriage, and the sanctity of sex. We've lost it. As a church, we're so confused. As a church, we have embraced people with other issues. But we have held at bay and even not allowed people in the LG plus community who are struggling with their identity to even attend. And certainly not to get involved. While we allow somebody who's gossiping or somebody who's angry all the time or somebody who's boasting and prideful or somebody who's on an addiction or somebody with the other sexual, right? Hello. We allow them to be involved, but we write the scarlet letter on the shirt or on the, uh, on the outside, on the forehead of somebody struggling with their identity. It makes no sense to me. I'm not asking us to drop our standards. I'm not asking us to drop our standards at all. Paul said grace and truth. And too often we have walked in truth, right? Without the grace and the relationship. Because we would rather win an argument and lose a friendship. God hasn't called us to win arguments and lose friendships. Hear me. I don't think that you have to set aside truth at the expense of relationship. You got to trust me. I know what I'm talking. I don't have the time to go there, but I have a ministry. I have a big time ministry to LG+. I was born in San Francisco, and I live in Minneapolis. Hello. (laughs) Two of the most, the largest LG+, communities that we have in America. I have a ministry to them because they know that I love them. 
And I don't treat, hear me, I don't treat them any different than my friends that are struggling with something else. And I think it's time the church is as strong, hear me, in our truth. As strong in our truth that we understand the scriptures on this as we are in our grace. And that we raise a church that is as strong in their grace relationships as we are in the truth. Let me just give you two quick scriptures on this that will help you. They're in the, they're in the second chapter of, of the book that you'll be able to get if there's any left, left over. Let me give you two narratives on this topic. It is called the creation narrative first. Gen- Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 5. With me? All the note takers going to heaven. Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 5. We call it the creation narrative or the creation intent. Where God said, let there be light. And this incredible creation begins. And then he says to us, he created male and female. Period. No neutral gender. No multiple gender. No transgender. No bi. Right. Hello. Stay with me now. I'm not bringing judgment here. I'm bringing clarity here. I'm bringing, hear me, hear me, hear me. I'm in relationship. I'm in relationship. You got to trust me. Do not check out on me right now. But God defined the sanctity of gender by saying male and female. And I know doctors in, in Canada have tried to create a neutral gender fetus and all of that. I get all that. And, and we're trying to mess with that. And we're trying to tell people, you can be whoever you want. Let me tell you something. You can't be whoever you want. You are created male or female. Okay, you understand that? And if we lose that sanctity, hear me, if we lose the sanctity of gender, we lose everything coming after it. Do you know that right now there's legislation in America to legalize bestiality? Right now there's legislation in America to legalize incest. And, and, and 20 years ago, 25 years ago, we would have never said that the LG plus community would, would be normal, right? We would have never said that that's accepted morality-wise. I'm not saying normal as people, okay? I'm saying morality-wise. That would never be accepted. And now we've moved to embracing that. And now, we, 25 years, 10 years ago, you would have thought, there's no way. Come on, beast, yeah, there's no, that everybody knows that's wrong. No, 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 no. Everybody doesn't know that's wrong. There, there are organizations that are saying, you got to let us love our animals. I love our animals. It's legal. We're not weird. We're not doing this on the street, but this is legal. This is, this should be legal because we love. I'm like, hold it, hold it. Love has nothing to do with it. You understand what I'm saying? Marriage between a man and a woman has everything to do with it. That's it. Because if it was just love, I love my mom. Okay, that's weird. If it was just love, I love Sean. Now, do you see the idiocy? God gave us parameters for a reason. He gave us the sanctity of gender and the sanctity of marriage. He told man and a woman to leave, right, and join together as husband and wife in marriage. And then he said the sanctity of sex. Have passionate sex and fill the earth. 
within that framework. And, and you could literally just do a mic drop. I won't drop it, but you could do a mic drop right there and stop the argument. But let me give you one more. Can I give you one more? I know, we're, man, we're pressed for time, and we got to beat the Baptists to the cafeteria, so we got to get moving. <laughs> Listen, I, I, truly, I, I really believe this. I want, you, I want you to hear this. People say all the time that Jesus had nothing to say about these issues, that he had nothing to say about gender, marriage, and sex. That he had nothing to say about incest or nothing to say about bestiality or that he had nothing to say about all of these prohibited sexual behaviors. Hear me and hear me very clearly. Jesus didn't have a lot to say, but what he said was very, very clear. Matthew 5, Matthew 15, Matthew 19, John 8, and Revelation 22. I'm going to go over those again. Matthew 5, Matthew 15, Matthew 19, John 8, and Revelation 22. Jesus used the term, the Greek word, porneia. Okay? And that word, you, you, you'll see it in the study. There is, and honestly, on the progressive side or the conservative side, there is very little, very little disagreement on that word. They'll, they'll use some other disagreements in other areas, but hear me. That's the word Jesus chose to use. That's the word that Paul chose to use. That's the word John chose to Anyway, we don't have time to get into all of that. But Jesus used that word. And what he said when he used that word was sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is prohibited. It is not allowed. It is an overarching word for all of that. Because we didn't have words that describe some of those other issues. Okay? So, do you remember the story... Of the woman caught in adultery. Remember that? We never hear about the man, do we? It's always the woman. And, and I get cancel culture is, is totally, you know, right? They're trying to get rid of the purity movement and stuff because they think that we've damaged women with that. and whatever. That was not our youth ministry experience at all. I was harder on the boys than I was on the girls, okay? But there's this movement, okay, the purity movement, you know, that is being canceled, and so Jesus is talking to his disciples, and these men, the Pharisees, bring out this woman whom the Bible says was caught in the very act, which means they probably set it up. They set it up. And so they bring her out, throw her down in the midst of them, right? And they say, with rocks in their hands. So Moses told us to stone such a one. What do you say? Right? And they're like, <laughs> they're like, got him. And what does Jesus do? Totally ignores him. Right? Jesus is like, really? Okay. And he starts playing tic-tac-toe. You know, or I don't know. I think what he was doing is like drawing an arrow over at that one over there going, he's cheating on his wife. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. And then, oh, this one over here, the young one over there? Yeah, better not even say what he's doing. And they say to him again, listen, listen to us. And, the, and then there's a little phrase in there, and they were trying to catch him. They were trying to seduce, they were trying to accuse him. So they're like, what, what should we do? And Jesus, right, he looks at him and he says, I'll tell you what, whoever's not sinned, Go ahead and throw the first stone. Right? And all the disciples are like, 
<laughs> Peter's like, got him. <laughs> Watch this, right? And Matthew's like, one, two, right? All these rocks start dropping and they turn around. And it's just Jesus and the woman. Remember this? And he says to her, woman, where's your accusers? Is there anyone here who condemns you? And she looks around in her shame. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being brought out in front of everyone? And she just simply says, no one, Lord. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Right? You're, you're, listen, your accusers aren't condemning you. And I'm not condemning you. Go and sin no more. What did he do? He called what was going on. Adultery, sin. Fornication, sin. Why? Because he was very clear. Man, okay. Let's, let's move on. Let me, get to, can I, let me get to the last one. Um, will you stand all across this room? The Holy Spirit, the Trinity in the life of believers. Man, if we could, as a church, if we could understand the power of the Holy Spirit at our disposal, it would make what we're doing here, here, church, so much more authentic, so much easier. I want you to picture in your mind this, this throne in heaven. And, and God the Father seated on the center throne. Can, can you see it? The, the Bible says that it was preeminent, that you could see it everywhere, that you could see it throughout all of heaven. And at, as, that, as, as God is seated on that throne, there's another throne to his right, and that's where Jesus is seated. And there's another throne to his left, and that's where the Holy Spirit is seated, the Trinity. Because God the Father we know, Jesus we know, but who is the Holy Spirit? So if you could picture this scene, we go sideways, right? That's why the prophets came. That's why the prophets came, to bring this awakening and this revival. And we go sideways, and God says, it's time. It's time. And Jesus steps into the first century for 33 years, doesn't he? 33 years. And he sets the kingdom up, and he, and he talks about the law, and he gives his new law, his, his sermon on the mount. And go, don't go one mile, go two. Don't give just a shirt, give a coat, right? And, and he's setting up the way we are to be. And then as he's meeting with the disciples, this is what he says. Now I'm leaving. Do you remember the conversation? John chapter 16. Now I'm leaving. And they're like, no, no, Lord, why are you leaving? No, we're, we're codependent on, you can't leave. You, you can't leave. And he says, no, no, you don't understand. It is better for you. It is to your advantage that I go because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit cannot come. And if he comes, listen, if he comes, he will take of what is mine and give it to you. Everything that you need is found in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want to say something. 
And this, was in a, this, this will be difficult for some of you to even believe and to feel. It, it's hard, but, but hear me. Sometimes we are so fixated on Christ that we have forgotten the Holy Spirit. I know he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus. I get that. But hear me. Even Jesus himself, John 16 and Acts chapter 1 said, guys, stop worrying. I'm leaving. He's coming and it's better for you. And he leaves, right? Acts 1. He leaves and he tells him, wait, just stay here because the Holy Spirit is coming. And he called him your helper, one who would come alongside of you. And Jesus ascends into heaven, doesn't he? Remember that? And he goes and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And in that moment, he begins to tell these incredible miracles and these stories of what he had done, and, right? And all of heaven is listening to him. And as he's talking, they're all just right leaning in. And he looks at the Father and he says, it's done. I've done my work. And the Father says these words, hear me. He says these words, it is time for the last era of humanity. It is time for the last moment of humanity. And Jesus, seated now at the right hand of the Father, looks over at the Holy Spirit and says, tag, you're it. Right? And the Holy Spirit is like, I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this. And he jumps off that throne. And he's been working for 2,000 years trying to get our attention. 2,000 years. He's working in Africa. He's working in China. He has the cooperation of the church in South America. But in, Amer but in America, we have no idea. We have no idea what to do. When you look at this vacuum of spirituality from the 65 to the 4, this faith handoff that has failed, when you look at it, hear me, the answer is a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Listen, your mom and dad is not your most important relationship. Your brother and sister is not your most important relationship. Your bae or your bestie is not the most important relationship. It's not your guardian or your aunt or your uncle. The most important relationship that you have on this earth is the Holy Spirit. And He is trying to get our attention. And He is building the church. We just sang it. And the church came alive and the spirit lit the flame I want to do something to finish this weekend I want to put us in family units in the next minute here I want us to all get into family units and we're going to finish this morning praying for an awakening and a revival in our families listen we will never have a national awakening unless we have a personal awakening first. We need God to move so badly in our homes. I can remember all three of my children being healed in our home. Pastor, all three of our kids were healed in our home. I could tell you the stories. I can, I hear my kids at the end of the day into the evening saying, Dad, are you coming in? Mom, are you coming to pray with us? Even when they were teenagers. I know it's intimidating. Sir, ma'am, I know it's intimidating. And you're thinking, man, there's no way. There is no way I could do that. 
Listen, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. You got to try. You got to give God a chance. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, right now, I want you to move into circles of your family units. Will you do that? Come on, all across the place. I, I know it's awkward. It's really awkward doing this. I've been doing this all over the country. Young people, find your homes. Uh, if, if there's a young adult near you, will you get them and pull them into a circle? Come on, right now. I, I know some of you are looking at me, right? And you're just standing there in a line. Get in a circle right now. Come on. Even if it's just a few friends. Get in circles. Come on. I know it'd be easy to leave right now. You could just step out. I'm done, right? But that's the problem. That's the problem. Sometimes we have to do hard things. Let's give the Holy Spirit a chance to work in our homes right now. Right? Come on. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to take you through four one-minute prayers, and then we're going to then we're going to finish four one-minute prayers. Here's the first one. I want you to pray over your family right now. I want somebody in that circle to pray over your family. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's a wife. Maybe it's a grandfather. A grandmother. Maybe it's a teenager. Maybe your parents don't feel comfortable and right now you want to pray over your Will you do that? Right now, just pray over your family for one minute. Come on. All across the room. Singles are doing it. I know, I know, you're awkward, we've never done this. Well then let's start it now. Why not start here? I don't know if they'll, they won't respect me. You gotta start somewhere. Come on, just turn to her, look at her. Turn to him, look at him, and just say, God, we need you in our home. We need you in our home. We need you in our home. Now I want you to do this. I want you to make sure that every single person in your home is born again. Will you ask them? Like, literally, literally, just, don't sing, just play, don't sing. Listen, I want, right now, I want you just simply to say, do you know the Lord? Right? Maybe the answer is real quick, and your spouse is going to be like, well, of course I do. Right? Come on. Right now, go right through the circle. Do you know the Lord? Because hear me, the greatest place you could give your life to Christ is in your home. All of my kids gave their life to Christ in our home. Come on, right now. And if, if somebody... It's not sure. Will you pray right now? Pray. God, to know you. God, to know you. I've watched this all over America as young people are being saved in their home. As parents, I heard the story of parents whom teenagers led to Christ. Come on, just 30 seconds. Pray right now for salvation in your home. And in a moment, we're going to give you a gift. Connor's going to come and give you a gift if you've prayed that prayer. All right, right now, man, I know I've been, I've been running late and we got to get out of here. But I want you to pray right now for your neighbors. Will you pray for your neighbors right now? Come on, call your neighbors out by name. Go right down your street. Go right down the street, door to door. We had a food pantry in our house. And when the kids opened the door to that food pantry, they saw the names of our neighbors. My wife had written all the names of our neighbors on that door. And we told our kids, if you get a snack, you pray for your neighbors. Come on, right now. Call their names out before God. They're going to see you go home today. Maybe pull up into your driveway, right? Instead of getting going in the house, walk over where they're mowing the lawn. Walk over where they're sitting in a chair. And just introduce yourself, right? And tell them, I prayed for you this morning. Can you imagine? What would happen if we just simply said that? I prayed for you this morning.
That's it. Come on, give the Holy Spirit a chance. Lastly, will you pray for our nation right now? Come on. I want you to pray for our president. Pray for the cabinet. Pray for unity. Oh God, we need unity in government. Pray for the House. Pray for the Senate. Congress. Pray for, pray for every state. Governor. Come on, pray for our judges. Pray for representatives. Pray for mayors, superintendents. Come on, pray over our nation right now. Pray over churches. That God would move. That God would move in America. Come on. Come on, one more minute of that. Will you? Come on, as a family, listen to each other. Listen to each other. Maybe you've never heard a spouse pray for the nation. Just say, God, we need you. We need an awakening. We need an awakening. Yes. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this? I, I know some of you aren't doing it. You're over this, right? And it's time to listen. Can you imagine what would happen in your home if you did this once a week? Once a week. That's it. Once a week. If you put worship on in the home, if you woke the kids up with prayer, if you went to sleep and before you went to sleep at night, you walked into the kids' room and you prayed with them. You've got to start somewhere. Holy Spirit, move upon this church. Move upon this church. God, we ask, move upon families. Bring an awakening to families. Every family represented in this place, God, bring an awakening to our families, we pray. We pray, we pray, come, can we worship out? Can we sing this as, as we finish this morning? Can we sing this? Come on, I want you to raise the roof off this place and worship together, come on, come on. Come on, we pray this. check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, please visit myeternity.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at My Eternity Church.